November 10th, 2021. Nine years since the last entry, and here we go again. The feelings and the fighting are exhausting. Every time it hits, the energy expended convincing yourself to not end your life takes a toll. And 20-some years into that, it adds up. I fight through it because I know from experience there is light on the other side. But it's still a fight. The truly fucked up part is at one time feeling that life overall would be better for people without me, and at the same time, guilty for leaving them or putting them through the sorrow. Maybe a best step for prevention would be talking to a family and friends of someone who took their own life. The pain that is passed on from one soul to another. I keep having a why, but it changes. I get it. Maybe we don't really deserve the empathy. Maybe the empathy enables us from creating our own solutions. I don't have answers, mostly questions. Will tomorrow be better? Will this cycle end? What can I learn from all of this? How can I help others with the same problems? How do I even find others with the same problems? Two years later, here we are with a podcast, Terribly Unoblivious. This is episode three, Sad But True. Yep. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Nailed it. I nailed it because I hit record as soon as you said that. Oh, good. Welcome back. Big, uh, big podcast for us today. It's our, it's our first podcast since we've actually gone live. We actually did get one out there. We did. We got, we got it rolling. Dreams do come true. Or nightmares. The funny part is um, you're, you're really smart. You know how to run shit. Sort of. You, I know how to troubleshoot. But I, I was talking about this the other day with somebody about how they're like, oh, you guys going to do more episodes? I'm like, yeah, bro, we got eight in the banger right now. You know, we have eight in the hopper. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I think, I think it's eight now, nine, maybe with this one. I don't Brad, know. Brad is our, uh, we'll call I'll, I'll say architect. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a lead designer. Uh, but architecture is nothing without builders. The world, They're just pretty drawings. The world needs ditch diggers too. And the ditch digger on this one is Dylan because as we just mentioned prior to this, without him, you would just be listening to me on a phone with terrible audio rambling, probably not talking to anyone except myself, which is terribly uninteresting, not unoblivious. So that I've learned more about sound editing in the past few days than I ever thought possible. And I, <laughs> there, and what I, it's, it's one of those, as the more you learn, the more you realize how little, you know, so some, some initial good feedback from the first episode, which is positive because in light of recent events that have happened, um, one of the things that I always wanted to do since we actually decided we were going to do this podcast was touch upon some, some social emotional issues that I, I don't know if they're going to help people, but just make it obvious that they're not the only ones dealing with certain situations. They're okay to talk about it publicly. So I think that's, that was always in my, you know, maybe it'll be a, a common theme that we hit on every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I don't know. But uh, this is 
what are we, November 4th here, uh, this past week, a friend of ours from high school, his brother committed suicide and he was late forties. And it, it, anytime I hear about suicide, whether it's somebody that I know or whether it's just locally. So, uh, you, you have a, a regional where that hit kind of close to home. Mm-hmm. I feel heartbroken. I feel, uh, anger, I feel sadness. Um, because I, I have been in, in that situation and have, have thought about that, thought about the repercussions. Um, and I'm also uh, part of the anger is at myself because I feel like I want to do something to help those people. And for a long time, I never knew what that was. Uh, people do the, you've seen the 22 veterans, you know, yes. a day, like you've seen a lot of those kind of things go around where there's social media campaigns. That was the big, was that the push up challenge? There was like a push up challenge and it's kind of like the, remember the breast cancer uh, thing where people would post about like their bra color or something like that, but they wouldn't actually say what it was for. It would just get people questioning. Mm. I'm like that. Okay. I, I, I'm not real sure that that's There's power and mystery. There is. Yeah. But you give all the answers away. People will just be like, well, why do I need to go research it? I guess curiosity um, cured boobies in this case, but it just seemed like bringing awareness that it's happening. Wasn't quite enough. It's something I like people know it's happening. It's a, I think it's such a deep topic. It hits. It's not well understood. I suppose. And when something's not well understood, you know, it's kind of, we've talked about this in previous episodes with other topics. If something's not understood, you don't really want to address it because you don't want to show that your lack of understanding or your lack of knowledge in the area. It's just a, it's a thing we as humans do innately is try to hide our weaknesses. And so I think because, yeah, that's a huge thing we'll talk about in a little bit too. So I think, it probably loses the awareness it deserves because it just is so hard for people who have never had someone or someone close to them uh, for that to happen or for to comprehend what that means. And then for the people who it has happened to, you know, how do you, you know, it's so open-ended, you know, I had a cousin that committed suicide and his parents still to this day, you know, how do you, why, what could we have done differently? There are just so many loose ends. Right. So I think it's just, you know, it's, there's a, there's a large, or there's a, there's a lot of different ways that it, it confuses and hurts people. And it's kind of easier just to push it aside sometimes. So I think there's a lot of, there has been a lot of stuff come out about trying to recognize signs, especially in terms of someone that is at risk for suicide. And uh, part of me wants to skip over that part and go directly to the people that are experiencing severe depression because that's for like for me personally. Mm-hmm. And w- we can talk about this in a little bit. Uh, the, 
the road that I've gone down through that journey of depression and uh, probably anxiety and probably ADHD. And the more we find out about how the brain works and how the chemicals work in the brain and hormones and, and where everything is produced and how that affects the body, the better we understand it, but also the more complicated it gets. Um, but giving, giving people signs or awareness of someone that is at risk is beneficial, but you're skipping over the people that are in charge of making the decision. So I think what I want to do is just express what I have expressed in a lot of my writings, which was the intro to this. Um, and there's plenty of those that go back over the years. And in essence, the way I'm able to deal with it now is because I've, I've always dealt with it. So I know that I'm going to feel like this and it's going to last maybe a couple weeks. And then I come out the other side of it and it's okay. And I keep trying do you to ever, do you ever have a fear, you know, when you, when you, when you first start feeling it, you know, you're saying you've, you've experienced these episodes multiple times throughout your life, but is there ever a, is there ever a fear that you're not going to get out on the other side? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm always trying to better myself, trying to seek help, trying to find, uh, anything that can lessen that effect. So do you want to just go down the, because I, I am a little bit of a, a roadmap of, of different therapies that, that do or don't work. Um, or we can talk about some, some statistics initially too, um, as far as what kind of effect this has on the population in general, where do you want to start? You want to start from the beginning? Let's start from the beginning. All right. Take it from the top. So the top for me would have been uh, when I first started doing talk therapy, someone would say, how, how long have you felt like this? And I can remember going back to when I was a kid riding home in a car, typically October, November, when it started getting dark early, you know, especially on a Sunday, say we were, we were somewhere, we went in town, saw some family, you're driving back home. It's five o'clock. It's dark. And this daunting feeling like you were going to have to start the week over again and like go to school and do all of these things. And I remember that feeling. The Sunday scaries. Yeah. That's exactly what it felt like. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the earliest that I can go back and, and remember feeling that way. So that was probably eight mm -hmm. ish years old, something like that. So, so I had some of those, uh, was not, was not an outgoing kid really in terms of overly talkative. Is that where the Jack Daniels came in? Maybe. Yeah. The coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're going to talk about that later too. So nothing, nothing really major besides those. Those were kind of some early ones. Um, we talked about in one previous episode, how I was terrified of, of failure of messing up, you know, that kind of presented itself in, in some certain ways too could have been related to that. And it wasn't until high school and got into AP English and started doing some reading that ended up being a lot more philosophy based than English based. And shout out to my 
high school English teacher for that. You know what the writings were? I, so I remember the one book in particular that really set me on a crash course was the invisible man by Ralph Ellison. Okay. And it's not the invisible man that most people think of as the, the novel. It had to do with a, it's been a long time ago, but I think it was a young black boy growing up and it was, uh, I don't remember exactly the time frame, early 1900s, something like that. And then him going through and trying to find his identity in life. And I remember that self identity crisis hit me really hard. Like I really started questioning who I am and I didn't have an answer for that. And it kind of, kind of drove me down a, a dark path for a while there. Um, Keep your kids away from philosophy is what Brad's saying. I'm but, teasing you. But then another thing that we read was the, the allegory of the cave by Plato. And that's mm. what really turned me on to philosophy in, in the beginning and how, what we, we think we see and perceive and know can be shadows from a light that is actually shining on something else. So we don't see the light of knowledge. We see shadows of, of things that get in the way of that. And then we interpret it as such. So that's kind of where the, the philosophy background started. And side note where I got my last two tattoo allegoric art allegory of the cave. Just circle and just full circle, just bringing all the connections back. But I, I do remember in high school and it, it was probably during this time of the invisible man episode that just having this empty feeling and not knowing why. And at that time I was still religious and just remember praying that I wanted that feeling to end. And empty that the, just you're just feeling empty hollow yeah just lack of purpose lack of yeah and also asking a lot of big questions that don't have answers and being the kind of person that really really wanted the answers at the time but and i suppose you just didn't didn't just you know talk about it you probably just let it let it mesh in the head for a long long time i didn't talk about it to anybody yeah I, I thought something was, I thought something was wrong with me and I was technically right, but wrong in the sense that people think that it's their fault mm. is, is a big issue. So there's a shame and a guilt and a, all of these other feelings that go along with it. And we'll get into it in some of the stats later, but it doesn't discriminate. And for me in particular, I later on, like into my college years and knowing eventually that this was depression, it almost made it worse that my life wasn't bad because you have like, I have a family that loves me and I have food on the table on and I have my life. My life looks good. fine. Yes. And I feel awful. That's the, and, and then that's and then the, there's shame the, about that. There's the, yeah. Then then it turns into the comparison of I know people have it way worse than I have it. They don't have which I'm really basic, good at doing. 
the basic needs that I have. They don't have the, you know, they didn't have the same opportunities I had. And then like you're saying that, that spirals even further. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to, um, in a weird way, uh, you know, Arate, it's, it's, you got to individualize. You can't be comparing against others. This isn't a, you know, life isn't a game that you play against other people. Life's a game that you play with yourself and you have to, you have to understand when you're not getting your needs met, even if others aren't getting their needs met, they, you know, it's an individualistic thing at that point. You have to be able to take the comparisons away to be able to try to heal yourself. Yes. Yeah. And understanding that your problem is, it's your problem. It's all relative. It's everything is relative to you, your baseline. What is your stress baseline? What are you used to? What, you know, the other interesting part about that is, and I know, I know we will talk about this at, at some point is if you're going off of say like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Hmm. I think we're so at the tippy top right now that that's why we're experiencing so much social anxiety, depression, um, things like that, because our lives lower down the pyramid are so easy right now that if you, we've talked about, I want to go do hard things. What do hard things do? They reset your mind. Essentially, you are given these primal tasks that are incredibly difficult to do. And you use your energy and focus on completing those tasks. When you don't have any of those things, you have all this energy and free time to think about shit that may or may not be real. How do people feel about me? How do I feel about myself? What do people think of me? Am I doing enough? Yeah, you start you start at the bottom. Physiological needs, you know. Yeah. Food, drink, shelter, clothing, warmth, sleep. Those are pretty easy to attain right now in yeah. this society. Then you go to safety needs. All right. By all, you know, by all accounts, the United States is a is a is a very, very safe place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's where, that's where, this is where it starts to get tricky is then it becomes the love and belonging. Yeah. Then the esteem and then self actualization. So now you start getting into more of the, those become harder to define. You know, how do you, everyone has their own definition of what love is. Everyone has their own definition of intimacy and, you know, trust, acceptance, et cetera. But it's not necessarily easy to pin down if something's missing in those areas. You can't, it, it, it right. becomes it becomes messier, so that's where you're saying is and now, that, now that the baselines are here, it, it's getting it's getting harder to be able to navigate as it becomes more loosely defined. Especially going back to some of our earlier episodes of are we growing? Are we trying to understand the hard things in life, or are we just status quo in it? Yeah, and it's. There, there is a, there's a little bit of a pro and con to questioning things. If you don't question anything, you, you don't have to process and think very much, which is not very uh, complicated. It's when you, when you do start questioning a lot of things and, and you have more questions than answers, it's, it's kind of taxing 
But as long as you are in it again for the process of better understanding things, instead of trying to definitely know mm-hmm. everything, because if you want to definitely know everything, and that's where I was definitely in high school, at college, even you're going to be disappointed. And then that just sets off a, a whole new loop of now. I don't know what I'm, I, I don't know the answers. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. All I have are questions. So I, that's kind of the, the, the road that I was going down in, in college. It almost got a little bit better. One, I, you have roommates, you're constantly in social contact with people. That's helpful. That's a distraction. And I got really into philosophy. So when I was in these deep depressive episodes, I'm questioning everything and what better outlet than to be reading and writing about people that question everything. It was obvious that. And you had a, co- you had a cohort of peers. You, you know, you're going through your philosophy major. Yeah, but I wasn't. Re- I wasn't really talking to anybody. That that was kind of odd. You don't shut up now. What happened? I and Shannon will agree with me on that. Don't know. I don't know what happened. Do you, you find got, out? Do you find out talking made you feel better? I did find out talking made me feel better. That's uh, yeah. That's that's where all all of this goes. And so one of my philosophy professors. This was maybe three years in he, and I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but he brought up depression and talking about a, a really good friend of his that had been depressed for probably 15 years and finally ended up going to somebody and they're like, yeah, you, you have major depression. And I think he started probably some talk therapy, probably started on some medicine and within a couple of months, he, he comes back to this professor and he thought, I thought this was just my life. I thought this is just how it was. I didn't know that I could actually be better. And that probably I, fits 90%. And I remember thinking, sitting there in class, fuck, do I have depression? <laughs> no, I'd never have thought, I never had thought about it before. Me? No. Not, I I'm mean, just, I'm just empty. Obviously having issues for at that point, at least eight recognizable years Mm -hmm. and just sitting in that classroom and, and thinking in my own head, Oh shit. Like that was a light bulb moment and it still took, uh, two more years until I was almost graduated. I had no plan on what I was going to do in my life. I was working a job. I was still going to school Sure, when I Williams. was, I was, I don't two, know if that's the jingle. two or three months out from, from graduating and was just in a downward spiral. I was living by myself because everybody else had graduated the year before. Um, still doing, you know, my schoolwork and, and going through all of that. But with the looming future of, again, not knowing, I was just, I was in a bad place. And so I got to the point where, I didn't go to work and I didn't go to work for like two days and didn't talk to anybody. People were calling, asking about me, wasn't answering phones. The only person I was talking to was Shannon and I was full facade. Everything is fine because she didn't know anything that was going on. 
because I was talking to her just like I normally did. Because we like to do this thing where we pretend we're okay until the house is on fire. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, by the way, I've been playing with matches this entire time. And there's kerosene next door. And finally, I'm in my apartment and cops knock on my door. And Wellness check? Yeah, wellness check. Who sent in a wellness check on you? I think my parents did because work was calling we need to figure out the call-in function, like who wants to be a millionaire, so I can like call Priscilla right now. Oh. I would love to just be like, "Hi, did you call in a wellness check on yeah. Brad?" So I answer the door, and they ask, "You know, are you Brad?" Like, yeah, is everything okay? I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. I'm like, okay, well, we just had and uh, close the door. It, was it like wedding crashers when? He's like, no, I'm great. I'm great. Yeah. And he's like, well, why do you have this? Why do you have this? Don't kill myself book. And he's like, no, it's for a friend. <laughs> essentially, <laughs> and then essentially, he's like, I'm over here on the verge and yeah. reading. Don't kill it. He's like, I thought you said it was for somebody else. Yeah, essentially, that's what it was. Um, so I close the door. I turn around. They knock on the door again. <laughs> Can I see some ID? Really? Yeah, because. They don't know that that's me. It's like, oh yeah, sure. Which one of them was like, hey, we didn't check the ID. Yeah. Like, oh, this might yeah. go back. This might. They they probably took a quick glance around the apartment, which was a real shithole. Ooh. And not for my doing. That's just how it was. It was a college place. That's how yeah. they're supposed to be. Such a dump. And they probably realized hey, there might be somebody else in, in there. <laughs> So they checked Blink on that four times if you're unwell. Right. But that was, that was a, that was a, the wake up call that, that I needed. And had I been, I don't know. I don't know what uh, that could have been much worse, obviously. So did you go to therapy after that then? So what? then I, I did, I went to the college therapist, uh, counselor, Mm-hmm. And to my luck, I have been uh, granted some very good counselors in my life. I know other people have gone for various reasons, whether it was depression or marriage counseling or whatever. And you hear stories from them. You're like, yeah, you should leave that that person. Yeah. Because they have opinions and ways of thinking that they should do things and probably preconceived notions of ways that you should do things that might not jive with your life exactly. So on that note, if you, if you don't get along with your counselor right away, find another one. Like, yeah, you need try some to, different people out. Do you, do you just become best friends with the first person you meet? No. Mm -mm. So if you're, if you're not comfortable, if you feel like, you're being judged or if they're wanting you to do things that you don't want to do or whatever the case is, like try out, try out different people. I've been lucky with, with the people that I've had. So I have, I have as well. I've had two. So one, in college, starting to talk movie. to this, to this guy just immediately, as soon as I start unloading pressure release, it's like a, like a pressure cooker and you just press mm -hmm. the button. So a lot of times saying things out loud make them seem less scary because we, we, we talk about 
information echo chambers. The worst one can be your head. It is the worst one. So you're sitting in there just, it does. And that's the thing is it builds velocity. The, every time it bounces around, it's not like it dulls a little bit. No. no, it just accelerates. Yes. And the easiest way to slam the brakes on is to say it out loud, Mm -hmm. especially to someone because they're, their next question sometimes is just why I feel like blah, blah, blah. And then they say, why? And then you realize you, you don't really know why you don't have a great. And sometimes that's enough to release the pressure a little bit. And then it also, it breaks the pattern. It breaks the cycle because what happens is you just get into this cycle of fear anxiety you just sit in your apartment watching sad movies drinking jack daniels and smoking camel turkish golds unfiltered no oh that seems very specific i was just i knew a guy that smoked unfiltered camels he was badass is he still around couldn't tell you (laughs) and i think that's part of the mystery that i want to know okay but yeah it's it's a that's a bad chamber to be in yeah and when I'm going to, because so you had, you've had some good counselors, but then how long have you been seeing your current one? I just started, I think early this year or late last year, Uh, again, October, November seems to be a little bit of a seasonal time for me. And if I go back over the years and I just was just talking to this about it, to her about it, uh, the other day, (laughs) probably 70 to 80% of the writings that I do occur (laughs) in October, November, so uh, that's that is my cathartic moody, outlet. moody, angsty, Brad. moody, angsty. Yeah. So sometimes it's philosophical. The leaves are turning then, again. Uh, everything is dying. The apple cider tastes sweeter today. The fires are blazing. It's so it, it is funny to go back and, and not funny, but it honestly has helped me now. And I've actually passed along some of those writings to her because I know she she has said I have some other clients that what you were going through in your twenties, they're going through in their twenties. And so how long did you go between? Cause when you started seeing her, I was I was noticing a shift in you and I've known you for a long time and I've, I've seen you shift in and out of these cycles before, but you were, you were starting to get to a really bad place. It's by the time you finally were like, okay, it's time for me to go back. It's the kind of what I talked about in the intro. It's the, it's that cycle of, I know what's coming. I know what this is going to feel like, mm-hmm. and I know what's going to pass, but I'm just fucking tired of yeah. it showing up again. Yeah. And so how long, how long did you go without having seeing anyone? So I went in college and then I, that's kind of when I realized, all right, this is what's going on. I'm having major depressive episodes. Mm-hmm. And at the end here, we'll kind of go through what, what the definitions and and some of those things are just to throw some info at people. And then I graduated, moved back home. Still Shannon started a job. Things got a little bit easier. And I think within two years of that had another massive kind of episode where I started not 
showing up to things that I was supposed to be showing up to and ended up going back to the, I think the doctor at that point got on some medicine, got off some medicine, kind of did that Mm -hmm. off and on for maybe a year or two until something again happened. And I was like, okay, this is, this is it. That's, I got to, I have to take something. Cause at that point I was realizing that this is something chemical. This isn't, I always thought that it was just the way that I was thinking about the world and the realization that no, something else is happening in my, in my brain Mm -hmm. that needs some help. Yeah. So then I, I went on medicine, uh, just stuck with it. That helped. And then, you know, you increase the, the doses once or twice and you kind of get to a, a, a place where you kind of plateau, I guess. So yeah. I think, um, I've seen this, um, people close to my life is, and, and it's so weird. Therapy just has that stigma. It's like, oh, I don't want to go. And it's almost, it's almost like, okay, if I take this pill, even though there's a stigma around taking the, you know, anti-anxiety medicine, it's almost less bad than it's like, oh, you're going to see someone. It's like, oh, I can just take the, or, or it's like, I can hide this pill. You know, I can, I, I, right. I, just, I just take it in the morning and nobody knows. And that's, and that's it. But it's, that's helping you. What that's doing is it's helping you come back down to a baseline. But what it's not doing is it's not teaching you the skill set to recognize. Right. And then get out of those, you know, teaching yourself skills to be able to help cope. You're never going to, you know, it's one of those things where these are lifelong issues you're going to have to deal with, but it helps you know that there is, you know, a way out that there is, you know, mechanisms in place or somebody that is your, you know, safety valve to be able to go de-stress. There are weeks, there are weeks where, you know, I, and I, so I, I go to a therapist regularly and it's funny because I feel like 90% of the time I go in and it's like, I don't really have a, I don't really know what my agenda is today. But by the end, you're like, wow, I didn't realize I had so much built up. And you know, what's nice is you don't, you don't get those, those lows and those highs as much anymore because you know, you, you stay way more streamlined because you're, you're releasing it as you're going along. Yes. But I think what happens so many times is it it's, you get to, you get to a point in therapy where you're like, well, I don't really know what I'm going to talk about. So I must be cured. So I'm just going to stop going. And yeah. then all of a sudden, three years later, you've, you've built everything back up and now it's right. like, I have to get back in there. And then, you know, it's so hard to get new anyone nowadays. Like it's, 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 it is tough. I think, I think my, uh, my therapist said, I think nine months for, for her to take on new clients. Cause she keeps blocks of time for existing clients only. And she's like, yeah, I think it's like nine months right now. And she's, it's, it's just hard. It to almost makes me want to go back to school. My friend's doing that right now. My buddy, Jake, he's, uh, he's finishing up his, uh, social work, uh, masters. And, uh, then he starts all of his hours. I think he's already started his hours. It's, uh, cause there is, there definitely is, well, I just recently applied to be retested for ADHD. Yay. Which I should have done two years ago when the opening was there. Joining the club. And so I, again, I'm, I'm noticing some of these things that, okay, this maybe isn't just a 
uh, thought process issue, mm-hmm. there could be some other problems happening. Yeah. That some other form of therapy or some other form of medication could, could help with. And I'm kind of fully on board with if this makes your life better and it doesn't hurt you or other people, why are we not doing it? Mm-hmm. That's it can, it can be anything. What, why would you not want to take advantage of something that's going to make your life better? So that's kind of where I'm at right now, but it's a couple months to get into. It's an unbiased perspective. Anyway. And that's the biggest thing is everyone goes, I have my friends, I have my parents, I have whatever. And you're like, that's fine. And that's great. I'm not saying you shouldn't have those people in your world. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, you should be able to talk to them about items like this, but understand that you getting an unbiased opinion from your friends or your parents or whoever your close people in your life are, are second, you know, it's it's slim to none because they, they're going, you know, when you're going through a bad time with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, your friends are going to be like, you deserve better. You know, it's, they know, they know, they know too much or they they have an opinion or they have an opinion and your parents are always going to, you know, at the end of the day, most parents are going to want the best for their kids. So they're going to inject whatever their version of the best for you. Yeah, they is. may err on the side of going with you when that's not necessarily the best. And so, and like you said, it's just good to go in and just have someone say, why? And then that really takes you out of it. It does because you can go in and with talk all your about and, a friend or mm-hmm. a, a significant other, kids, whatever it is, and just be raw and authentic with them. No hey, preconceived notion, shame. It's you can but a lot of but there. a lot of the times it's not met with an answer. It's met with a question. Well, what do you think they're feeling when they do that? You're like, fuck, I didn't think about that. <laughs> let's, I let's, would never let's, think let's, about that. Let's slice it a little bit further. Let's slice it a little bit further. So for for me especially, I I would go in there and I remember uh, a guy that I would, was seeing, I think this was when I ended up going back after college and I saw him several times and he's like, you need to be on an SSRI for sure. Like keep coming here, but you need this Mm -hmm. as well. And I just went in and I like laid out everything and he goes, okay, so you have a really clear idea of what's happening. So you get in these, mindsets of, I know myself, I know what I'm doing. I know what this process Mm -hmm. is, but when you start getting raw and talking about things that bother you, irritate you, make you mad, make you excited, whatever. And then somebody says, why? I don't know. I didn't think about that. I was focusing on the emotion. So this is supposed to be about me right now. Yeah. Again. So it pulls you out of that zone that you get in inside your head Mm -hmm. and you start having to look at your thoughts from an outside perspective. And at least to me, that is helpful. So going back to, so that's, that's kind of been my Mm -hmm. journey. And then this last time about a year ago when I started going again, I just, I was talking to Shannon about it and I was just tired of doing this every single year. I was just exhausted. And I think for me personally, I've had more personal growth in this last year than I've had in a long time. 
Maybe, I'd agree with that. Maybe 20 years. I'd agree with that. This is like this whole deal, this whole podcast and the, the notion of reading and writing and trying to gather ideas and, and help people, I think has helped me move further along in that too. So the, the feeling still comes and goes, but having a strong why to keep going is important. And for the people that are lacking a why, I just, there is something on the other side. There's always something on the other side. There's always people that want to help you. There's always people that love you. Even, even if it's not your family or the people that you think are close to you, there are groups of people that feel this way, that if you expressed how you feel, you're instantly one of them. And there's, there's kind of groups like that about everything, right? Interests or this is what I'm going through or this is what I'm feeling. And if you are open and honest, it's, it's immediate that they embrace you and, and want to help. So my, I guess my message is not to those people looking out for warning signs. It's more for the people that aren't showing warning signs that there is more to be had and whatever problems you're facing are not insurmountable. So it's not shameful. And it's just being open with someone, anyone, a random person. Sometimes a random person can be the, the nicest thing. And it really, it really can. And you never know. It can also be the worst thing, but yeah, I guess it depends on where you're hanging out at. I've had some really cool random discussions and I've had some please leave as fast as you can <laughs> moments. But how many times if you're open and honest and you're talking to someone that you don't know, does it go positive? Almost every time. I mean, yeah. people typically relate mm-hmm. to something. Yeah. They, they've gone through it. They know someone that's gone through it. So, and the interesting thing is I, I think people do, they do want to talk about it. They just, they have to get over that. They feel shameful about talking about it or they feel weak. Just talk about it. Say what's on your mind. It's why lonely people will go to like, you go to a bar by yourself, have a few drinks and you'd be like, okay, that's how I'm feeling. Yeah. Not, not advocating that, not saying alcohol is your answer because alcohol can make it a thousand times worse. Yeah, for sure. I've been down that train of having a few drinks to ease the pain. And all of a sudden it's not that drinking to absolute blackout every night, but you find chemically after two weeks, you feel lower than you had versus just taking some time to. It's an extreme risk because what, what happens to your decision-making ability when you're impaired? I think it gets better. Think, I don't think that's correct. That's not correct. That's I think not that's the correct answer. Completely incorrect. So it's just the you get that that you just get. Uh, 
you get that brain fog. That's just terrible. It's almost worse than the initial feeling versus I've dealt with things where workout spree two weeks. And then by the end of it, you're like, Oh my goodness, this is great. Like I feel yeah. a lot better. Yes. I didn't just poison myself for a quick hit of numbness. Numbness is correct. So we talk about coping mechanisms and just because it's a coping mechanism doesn't mean it's a good one. No. Also, it doesn't mean it's a bad one. When you say you're trying to cope with something, mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to get through it. Mm-hmm. Now there's positive and negative ways to do that. Yeah. So obviously we're advocating for positive ways to do it. So I, I do have a lot of info, just some basic stats. Um, one of the things hit that, us with the data, data, man, data, 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 Brad, booby Excel twaps. child, booby twaps. That was data from the Goonies. Yeah, I know. Oh, $50 bill. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. The truffle shovel. Do the truffle shovel. There are things that we talk about and we think we like to know what we're talking about, but facts matter like words matter, I think. So here's some definitions, some stats, some things that we can talk about in terms of why they are the way that they are, perhaps. So these are general, uh, these are all from government health websites. So they are within, you know, a statistical data range of each other. We'll say acceptable Acceptable deviations. Thank you, stats class. So from 2021, that's what most of the latest data is from. In the population of 18 or older, 21 million people in the United States suffer a major depressive episode. So about 8.3% of all U.S. adults. Prevalence is higher in women, 103 compared to 6.2% of men, highest in the age range of 18 to 25. In the adolescence, 5 million age 12 to 17, at least one major depressive episode. That is 20% of the 12 to 17 population. Female, 29.2%. 11.5 male percent. One in five, man. Wow. The adolescent. So for adults, the treatment of depression is effective 60 to 80% of the time. However, according to the world health organization, less than 25% of individuals with depression receive adequate treatment. Now, adequate, obviously being a relative term, yeah, is Some that, of the stats that I had seen in the 18 and older said that 60% sought some sort of treatment, mm-hmm. whether that's talking to someone, going to a doctor, mm-hmm. having uh, medicine involvement. Only 40% received treatment in the adolescent range. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a higher occurrence yep. with a less treatment received. Wow. So if you're wondering what a major depressive episode is, it is a period of at least two weeks when a person experiences a depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure in daily activities and has had a majority of symptoms such as problems with sleep, eating, energy, concentration, or self-worth. Uh, so the depressed mood, feeling sad or empty, 
lack of interest, uh, not able to sleep or sleeping too much. So you don't want to get up. There's uh, agitation, restlessness, irritability. Oftentimes, anxiety kind of falls in, in line with... Simmering right below it. With that. Just, yeah, just simmers at the surface. I think a lot of times with the uh, shame or guilt, so you get into this depressive episode and then you suddenly start not doing things and then you get anxiety about not doing things and that anxiety that becomes, responsibility. Yeah, becomes crippling mm-hmm. and then you fall deeper into that depressive episode. Yep. It's a bad cycle. Uh, fatigue, loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness, hopelessness, guilt, uh, your feelings about the future of things, if that goes terribly negative, inability to think or concentrate, uh, to do basic tasks. Mm-hmm. You know, If you get to that point, then you need to be reaching out to somebody, whether it's, I, I can't keep up with getting out of bed, getting dressed, showering, taking care of my house, those kind of things. That's yeah. You're you're in a bad spot. You're in a real right bad that. spot. And then recurrent thoughts of death, uh, suicidal ideation, suicide attempts, planning for completing suicide. Obviously, that's a that's a issue. And uh, some the family history. So there's for me, it was never. There is definitely onset depression where something happens. You lose a loved one. You have a bad breakup, something situational, and and that can cause you to kind of start going into one of these episodes. Uh, the, the question is, do you come out of it or not? So if, if a loved one dies and you're obviously going to have a long period of grieving. If, if you are unable to come out of that and somewhat resume, obviously your life is different, but if, if you can't resume life, if that's what it feels like, you need some help. But then there's a whole other slew of people that don't have that. There's nothing that happened. There's nothing that onsets those feelings. They just show up. So in that case, probably a pretty good chance that it's uh, somewhat biological. So something is happening in your body, hormones, serotonin, chemicals, that is not getting processed properly. So there is a family uh, relevance. So family history of depression increases the chances by 11 times that a child will also have depression. And then sometimes you hit the lottery or both parents have it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yep. They don't have that. If that's, if that goes 50 times, so what's uh, the, what's the exponential rate on that? So if there is a family history of depression, anxiety, things like that, you just be a little bit more aware of, I, I know I do this and I, I try to not be too, Involved in it, but I'll see Phoenix do things. Phoenix is a mini me Hmm. and I'll, I'll see things that he does or doesn't do or how he reacts to things. And I immediately think, Ooh, that's what I would do if I was feeling this way. And so I don't put that on him, but I, I maybe pry a little bit into what exactly is going on in his life because I recognize it through my my own actions. So you bring up a, a 
you bring up a, a why for some people that if you're feeling these ways and you have kids, chances are your kids probably are going to feel this way at some point too. You know, the, there's the hereditary fact is what, you know, yeah. the, the stats are showing that. So if for not anything else, taking the time to get your mental health in check and learning about mechanisms that cope with it, that are healthy, you know, talking to people so that you can then help your next generation that you've helped produce correct, be better and help their next generation, because this is very much going to run down the line. And so if anything else, do it for, do it for your kids. It is not getting better. No, and it's for not. sure. Yeah. So, and, I, and I don't see this trend slowing down and we can talk about why that happens, but yes, you need to get help for you and you also need to get help for you being the best version of yourself for people around you. Yeah. So, and, and it's, you know, for, for Phoenix, Phoenix's sake, it's nice to have a dad that's taken the time because, you know, you're making those episodes easier versus somebody who's not recognizing that their daughter, son are going through that. You can almost apply more pressure sometimes in the wrong way because you just, you're like, Hey, snap out of it. You need, you know, if, if you pressure someone to, harder. especially a younger person that doesn't have the ability to think about it. So Understand he, he will, he will have these episodes every once in a while where he just kind of breaks down and, and he'll say like, I don't know what's, I don't know what's wrong, but he's obviously having some sort of emotional mm-hmm. trauma. Watched the little mermaid one too many times. And it's, if you pressure them into like you're continuously asking what's wrong and they don't know that feels awful Mm -hmm. for them. So I remember maybe a couple months ago, I actually had this conversation with him. He, something happened and maybe the anxiety build up and then all this stuff kind of flows out. And I said, listen, you are almost 13. You're a mess right now. Your body's a mess. There's shit going on in your brain and there's hormones and there's chemicals and there's you got boners, all these things that are just popping up, that was popping good. out. That was good. Got it like mm-hmm. that. And I can't, would you like to, Hey, Mr. Child, would you like to come do the problem on the, on the whiteboard? No, no. no I think I'll just sit right here. <laughs> I'll take the zero, but thank you. That's Eddie Murphy. That was so good. Uh, and I just explained to him, you're going to, you're going to feel a lot of things in the next seven years. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel highs. You're going to feel lows. You're going to feel like you're on top of the world and you're going to feel like you don't know what you're doing. And sometimes you're, you're not going to have any relevance as to why those things are happening. And that's okay. That's it. It's okay. You're going to feel all of these things. Sometimes you're not going to know why, and that's Okay. That's what you need to know. That's it. Does that make the feelings go away? No. Mm-mm. But does it make you feel okay to have those? Hopefully. Because it's kind of a natural order of things. Now, does it mean that it's okay and you should just ignore everything? No. You can always try to understand them better. But 
the fact that you're not fully in control the fact that it's not your fault that you're thinking these things or feeling these things. I think that's a huge issue to get over to kind of drive another point though, that I really like there, which is you feel these it's okay, but it's not, it's not an excuse to not try to be better. You know, you're going to, you're already, you know, you're a little bit behind the curve right now and it's going to be harder for you, but it's imperative that you keep trying to, to understand it, to grow, to, to, you know, to cope in the best way possible for yourself. Yeah. Because there are more offerings absolutely ahead of you. And that is, that is the conundrum that people that are thinking about suicide are faced with Mm -hmm. is, can you honestly believe that things will get better or be different when in your head you're thinking this is is it this is what's going to be like forever and it's not that's it it's not going to be like that forever so you have to take some initiative into if you're feeling that way open up, talk to somebody, write something, ask yourself some questions and start working on that process of getting to that better space. It's not, it's not easy. It's not always going to be perfect, but the path forward is a path. And so what, what most people see as a cliff is not, that's not the end. It's just a little bump in the road. It's, it's kind of like the, uh, the, the fake summits, you know, where you get up there and yes, I'm on the top. And then you get to the top and there's, there's another top there. Wait a, wait a, you're not, you're not on the cliff. You're wait, just, you're just continuing. We had a triple fake. We had a triple fake hill on rag a couple of years ago. Oh yeah. And it was fun. Oh my goodness. It was like, Oh yeah. And then of course the competitive side of a couple of us were racing, you know, giving it our all. And then we get to this little plateau and we're like, shit, another one <laughs> as we're just huffing and puffing, but you can't give up. You got to go. Um, so this, it's a, it's a problem that can be solved. Really. It's an issue that can go away the suicide part of it, the depression, you, you don't really solve depression. You can minimize it. You minimize it and it. you it's always going to be there and you, and you learn to deal with it in a positive way, as positive as, as you can be. So like I said, the like medicine has really helped me. Has it gotten rid of everything? No, it doesn't get rid of everything. Is there more to be done? Yeah, I'm working on that. And, are there therapies that can definitely give you coping mechanisms to help with those hard times? 100%. And those vary as wildly as the feelings and levels of depression do among people. So if you're mildly depressed, guess what? Maybe you don't need medicine. Maybe you need to work out and find a workout partner because find healthier relationships. That's, you know, 
the, the exercising is a huge, it's a huge thing. It, it solves a lot. Actually in college, it, it in really my statistics class, you had to think up of a, of a study. And mine was, what is the relationship between exercise and depression? Because at that time there wasn't hard data. And now there is clearly mm-hmm. what that does to your systems. So along with a lot of other things, but there's all kinds of different ways to Food do Food is medicine. Tidying up your diet. Yep. What, what goes in, what processes differently. Are you taking in a ton of sugar and, and having, you know, pizza every night because it's easy and you were feeling lazy and lethargic isn't, isn't going to get you out of that. No. So when you're feeling that way, there's definitely like staying at home on the couch. Not good. Drinking a bunch of alcohol. Not good. Taking a bunch of pills. Not good. Uh, eating a high fat, high sugar diet. Not good. Nope. Do these things lead to depression? Not necessarily. Sometimes they might. If you're predisposed. If it, if it affects your decision making, mm-hmm. but they're definitely not great ways to cope with getting out of that that way of thinking either. So in terms of, I'm going to end off here with some suicide stats just to, I guess, drive home the problem, please. And a, a problem being there is a higher occurrence. It seems like in depression of females and interestingly, when you look at, especially the adolescent females, mm-hmm. I think a lot of that new has to do with social, social, media. social media and the internet, because you have so many people saying, this is what your life should be like. And young girls not feeling like that's what their life is like, just because it's not true. The influencers that are killing yeah. themselves now, it's the people that supposedly had it all. But that's not... That's not so. Not real so life. you you have this, you have this added bonus of people incorrectly telling young kids what their lives should be like. When in most cases, there's not a reality that that's what their lives are going to be like. So that's that's an issue, and the other issue is for suicide the the occurrence of success that men have over women because we are better at everything. We just lost half our population (laughs) right there. So 2021 suicide stats overall, 48,183 lives lost lives lost men, 38,358 of those 48,000. So I think uh, I believe the the rate is women attempt suicide more than men and men complete more than women. And a lot of that has to do with the ways that they attempt. So m- m- a lot of male deaths are firearm related. Uh, women kind of spread the gamut of different ways they try. Yeah. So, uh, the other interesting thing is uh, I think it's highest among the, the highest rate is among people 85 and older, which kind of throws a wrench into uh, how you 
how you view suicide a little bit. Because at some point, people that are in physical pain without relief, when we talk about an older population, and I would say that I'm, I am on the pro side of this, is that why should you not be granted relief from something that could essentially last years of excruciating pain without there being any current solutions? Not to mention psychological pain. You forget about the the you know the hallucinations, the nightmares, the you know don't know who anyone is around me, confused always, scared always. So there's there's a a weird kind of blurred line once you get up there because okay, Kevorkian, that's a different episode. It it is a different episode. Because you kind of have to start talking about, are these mentally stable people? Are they physically in a lot of pain? Or is it the same situation as a 45-year-old? They're just 85, and they happen to feel like they have lost their friends, they've lost a loved one, they don't really have much left. So they think. You're kind of, you're kind of in the same mental mindset as a 45-year-old or a 15-year-old. Because while you're 85 and you have lost more, the anguish is too much to move forward. You've lost more physically than a 15 year old has Mm -hmm. typically. Is there more to come? It's a harder question at 85 than 15. And we don't have the five hours to solve it. Right. But it's still a valid question. It is. Your market. The, the rates among the years, 10 to 24 years, 7,126. 25 to 44, 16,724. 45 to 64, 14,668. So that kind of struck me as it doesn't let off. Like you would think in the, if I was looking at it just briefly, you would think in the younger years, they have less coping mechanisms. They, they, they don't think so clearly about things. I would almost expect the younger ones to be higher in rate. Does that make sense? Yeah, but do you take abilities in at that point? Like how are they, they have the ability right. to actually take their lives? Right. There is not a, saying they can't figure it out, but there's a different, you know, and then 25 to 44, that's that's a pretty high group right there. And there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of new shit coming at you. There's bills, there's kids, there's houses, marriages, marriages. Um, That's scary. So it's, this is in a, it's across the board. It's across races. It's across age groups. It affects men and women. It's not easy to pinpoint. So, but 48,000, there's how many million people in America? I don't know. Let's go 350. Okay. I was going to say you can go back to the math on the other page because you had 8% of how many? So just divide by 0.92. 9, yeah, I don't know. Let's go with 300. 
Okay. But it's one death every 11 minutes from suicide is what it averages out to. And before this started, I was telling you the the other interesting thing was you, I, I do believe that depressive episodes rise around the holidays, which is why we're trying to get this out before the holidays. 333 million. That was pretty close. Hmm. 350. So, but the rates of suicide seem to be pretty even across the months. So it's, there's not necessarily a high and low when it comes to that. Um, 12.3 million adults seriously thought about suicide. 3.5 million of them made a plan and 1.7 million attempted. So that's a, that's a even scarier number than the 48,000. Cause now you're jumping exponentially into the, the possibility of people that are thinking about or trying to do this. Basically it's, it's a major problem. 10th leading cause of death in the U S. But once you go down in those age groups, that, that rating jumps significantly. Mm. So it becomes, yeah. I can't remember what it, it is. It's top three for sure. Which category? Uh, in young, mm. young adults, adolescents. Cause what else is killing them? Car crashes. There's not, there's not a lot else that. Yeah. I imagine, like you said, we, I we live term, in a, in a I very imagine s- terminal cancers and diseases probably aren't super high in that category. No, it's it, we live in a overall, a very safe society. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the last thing, suicide among males was four times higher. Males make up 50% of the population, but nearly 80% of the suicides. And there is definitely still a stigma around men talking about feelings in general. Toughen up, bro. The, the idea that you can just pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you're depressed and I find myself still, still doing a bit of that. Oh yeah. Because you, at some point I'm aware of the situation. I'm seeking help for the situation. I'm working on it. I still have some, some feelings where I I don't want to do this today, or I, I just don't have energy. And at some point I have to will myself to just get going, which ironically, a lot of times takes away that feeling getting moving and when you're and when you're triaging those situations don't pick the largest task first what is the smallest task i can complete right now what is the easiest okay that's putting on my pants like i mean it's it's silly but you have to start thinking about what little details or what little tasks can help snowball into larger tasks which is what you're saying get my mind right get myself going and going okay i can get started but I'm going to put a caveat to that big asterisk because when I was in my worst episodes Mm -hmm. and I had was either on medicine or I was, maybe I was talking to somebody. I would, I would do exactly that. I would clean the house. I would mow the lawn. I would do anything that didn't make me leave my house and do something Mm. that I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. And 
it's a weird you were avoiding it's a weird feedback loop because in your head you feel like you're doing something because you are Mm -hmm. you're doing something Mm -hmm. and is that better than just laying in bed yes but mentally i think it can take longer for you to just have the realization that okay i'm deep in it right now and i need to so like when i was doing those things i wasn't telling people I, I wasn't going to this job today or I wasn't doing the thing that I was supposed to be doing. You just don't show up to my jobs anyway. I just would do something else. And then I would convince myself that I was doing something good and that that would get better. And then the next day I would do the same thing. And then the next day I'd do the same thing. You know what we call that? Toxic productivity. Oh, who calls that that? People. Okay. So it is, it is good to start small, but at the same time, when you're feeling that way and, and you, you, you are to, having to you convince to, yourself you need to get social, there's, there's, you got to get out of your box, get, get started and then get social. Yes. Because there are so many times where like you're saying I've never fallen that far in, but like it, I'm just going to chill around the house and you're, and then somehow you get dragged out and then you come back in a completely better mood because you just got to talk and it didn't even need to necessarily be about what I was bothering me, but you just got to kind of yeah. understand that there are people in the world here's, that you care about. And here's care what about I do you. now because, uh, mentally, how do I want to say this? As far as mental health goes, I feel like my wife is pretty, pretty up there. She rides high all the time. Healthy. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get to experience a lot of the issues that we do. The lows. And so she doesn't quite get it. It's it's one of those things. I, I assume like addicts are like this. Like if you're an alcoholic and somebody else says, I... I'm an alcoholic. I have a problem. Like I know exactly what that is. I know exactly what that feels like. Mm-hmm. You can empathize. You can empathize anyways. It's just a little bit harder to. Shannon can't empathize with you. She can, but she doesn't feel, she doesn't understand the feelings. That's what empathy is. Empathy is sympathy with feeling. Yeah, but you can empathize with someone without knowing exactly what they're feeling. I suppose. Like I can empathize with somebody's situation without having been in that situation. And and I also fully understand that I've not felt that exact same way, but maybe I have a small instance of something that is similar that allows me to take that feeling and then imagine multiplying it by a hundred. And that's what they feel like. Yeah. I don't know that feeling, but I can try to imagine what that is like. Right. But what I do with her is I might go through a couple of days of this on my own. And then I realize, okay, I'm, I'm full in this right now. This is, this is a major depressive episode. This is what's happening. And I will just tell her that's it. This is what I'm feeling. And sometimes I have to get more specific. Sometimes I have to write her a note, a letter, because that's easier for me to express. And I tend to write a little bit more descriptive than I talk sometimes words are hard when there's emotions involved because it, 
Yeah, you, you can definitely tell pathways start to block off up there. I'm the same way. When yeah. I get flooded with emotions, my verbiage goes which, to shit. Which is also a reason that I think counselors are so good because you, you lose a little bit of that. There's still a little bit of fear in just expressing yourself. But when it's someone that you know, love, live with, there is still a part of you that is anxious about the reaction, I think. Mm-hmm. So... I just, I put it out there, tell her how I'm feeling. And it's always met with, I understand. And that, which is all I need. Mm-hmm. I just want somebody else to know that that's what I'm feeling right now. I don't need a solution or, uh, you know, I might need a hug. I might need someone to say, I'm sorry, you're going through this right now. I'm here if you need anything. And then just getting it out that, somebody else knows that I feel this way is a lot of times enough for me and allows me to move past that and then continue on. How do you want to wrap this one up? I, I feel like a quote that I've seen before, which is somebody saying, I love you. And the person saying, you don't even know me. And the person saying, if we can hate people for no reason, then we can love people for no reason. It's pretty powerful. So there, whatever you're going through, there is somebody else that is or has gone through it and has made it out the other side. And those are the people that you need to look to for guidance and help and understanding. And that you're not going through this alone. This is not just you. There is plenty of, of help, empathy, people that want to make your life better. Uh, and honestly, people that love you and will miss you. That's, that's a for sure thing. So if you are having issues, they have set up a, it's basically a 911 for suicide and mental health. It is the 988 lifeline. So you can call or text that at any point you want to. So if if you're in a real emergency and you don't have a friend or a counselor nearby, call them. Someone someone will talk with you. Absolutely. My cousin worked for them for a long time. So that's you know what? We're gonna we're gonna come back next episode with something a little bit more uh cheery. A little more cheery, but we appreciate this, you listening. This was important to me. This is important. And like so. we said, we'll link resources in the description of the episode. Um, as Brad said, reach out to 988. If you are a loved one experiencing something um, significant. Thanks for listening. Thank you. We'll see you soon. You're still here. It's over. Go home. Go.